0: Escape from Plan A. We didn't have all the rights that Caucasians had, and it was because of racism, and of course when December 7th happened, it was also hysteria, and and Americans uh, also looked at December 7th from a very economic point of view.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Escape from Plan A podcast. Today is the first episode of the Girls subseries for our podcast, and I am Eliza Romero, and my co-hosts are Jess and Christina. And today we'll be talking about female sexuality, the Women's March, the Me Too movement, and Asian feminism. Awesome. Thank you, Eliza. Thanks, Eliza. One of the things I've been thinking about, um, we don't have to talk about Aziz too much, I just want to bring up this one little thing, but one of the things I've been thinking about with regard to this whole Aziz controversy, especially last week, is how much young men nowadays learn about sex from watching porn, and how men are not incentivized to be emotionally mature adults anymore. What do you guys think about that?
2: It's kind of true. It it feels true. I mean, I mean, not being a guy or anything, but if... Just considering all the materials available growing up, like they don't actually get that much, like real actionable advice or guides or anything, except by what we see in the media, right? And, and we know that you know porn is heavily consumed, so it makes sense that that would form a large part of what they would expect. It shapes their their expectations for what sex is.
1: Yeah, it's it's so easy to get access to porn now too. Like before, you had to really look for it. And now it's like with with the Internet, there's so many sites you can go to and it's it's free and you're they're not learning as much um, experientially. It's like they're learning from watching other people do it. And the way sex is portrayed in porn is not what women like typically.
2: Yeah, there's no context for it either. Right. Like. Um, I mean, I didn't grow up in that era or anything but if you think about what, what people had access to maybe like 30, 40 years ago, it, like by today's standards, it was freaking tame like catalogs or something like the, the lady in a, in lingerie in a catalog or something you know, like your dad's playboys or something so I, f- I feel like there was more of a progression, like it's more of a guided experience, right? You start small and then kind of explore more from there but now, if you think about it, any anybody with a with an internet access can access anything. So I don't think there's a proper like uh, there's proper context placed for this, like a sense of scale. What's appropriate in this context and not in another? You know how to how to progress in you know like, uh, in terms of like you know even the the acts themselves. Right, they they get really extreme really quickly, and there's no sense of proportion either. So, I can kind of imagine like this giant hormonal, you know, this person in this giant hormonal like uh, frenzy kind of just not knowing what they're looking at on the internet. And just, and it kind of just all normalizes. You start to think that this is all normal. This is all acceptable. Everything's on the table. And clearly, from visual feedback, the chicks are into it. Right. So, like, of course, and you know, that forms the baseline, right? They're they're still outsiders looking in. So it does make sense to me that when they're actually out there pursuing these experiences for themselves personally, that all of this would kind of come out. This is what they this is what they saw, this is what they expect. And so, in a sense, this is what they're gonna go after. I think it's pretty damaging for both for both men and women in that case because it's not like it's not like they came to that conclusion that they're into this stuff themselves i just saw it so much that they kind of want a piece of that they've been conditioned to think that's what they want even
1: right i was gonna say on the girls side are they participating too like are they acting because we know that girls consume porn too not the same way that men do not the same amount but girls do consume it and so are they acting like the women in porn also Because they think that that's what guys like and that's what they're taught is a sexual relationship.
3: I think in some ways, I think girls have a very strange relationship with sex right now in that so much of what we were taught is feminism is about sexual liberation, sexual freedom, being sexually free. That in some ways, I think girls weirdly conceptualize sex as some sort of form of their own liberation and they really want to consider sex to be like that they want they find sex to be some sort of expression of feminism which I think is commonly how it's talked about on a college campus and I don't think it should necessarily be like that way in a lot of ways because sex is kind of it's kind of a very difficult physical act. Like I don't I don't really know, but it's kind of just like um complicated to conceptualize in a theoretical manner in the way that it has been abstracted completely in a very like public sense.
2: Yeah, I I agree. There's a lot of like meaning attached to it that's not just personal. It's it's political. So I remember in college feeling a lot of pressure to you know like like you'd have to have it if you wanted to be considered a feminist if you wanted to be considered pro women you'd have to kind of go out and seek all these experiences if you weren't ready for it or if you felt shy about it um it was kind of like a political statement it was interpreted as a political statement that you're you know you must be a conservative uh, you know you're against women's rights or something and i think that coupling is really dangerous um i think a lot of girls feel that pressure and a lot of them probably do succumb to it so it puts a lot of people in a really, really weird position. And that's just, this is not to criticize, you know, being sex positive or anything in any way. It's just that there's a lack of uh, ability to conceptualize the role of the individual, not like a, as a po- giant political uh, statement or something. So, I, And I think as far as, um, like, what do women, how do women conceptualize themselves as far as sex goes? I still remember this this really weird interview that Paris Hilton gave a number of years ago when she was still relevant. And she was talking, she got to talking about sex, but what she said was kind of striking. She said she enjoys watching herself have it because she's kind of she's kind of outside herself. She finds pleasure in being that desirable object. So that's the center of her pleasure, knowing that, you know, being kind of that... That fan- fantastical like porn star who's showing a guy the time of his life, so she's not really like, she's not in it for herself even. She's kind of she's kind of she's performing. enjoying the fact that she's the fulfillment of a f- fantasy. Yeah, performing exactly. Um, and I kind of wonder how how prevalent that that concept is among women today.
1: Paris is about
2: she's like our age, isn't she, Jess? I think so. Maybe a few years older, but I mean, definitely she was a major influence. Um, yeah, I think she's close to forty. Whoa! I could be wrong.
1: I guess she's like yeah. she's like forever. Because when I think of her, I just think of her as forever, like simple life. Like she's just frozen there in time. I know. Time.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it, and that's 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 where she wants to be probably. Yeah. So. <laughs> um. <laughs> So that's uh so but I thought that statement and her being willing to say that out loud, and given that time, that particular era, it feels kind of it feels kinda of correct. There's that there was that time when it's extreme voyeurism.
1: It was like the height of the ranch era for women, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we still kinda of have that going on. I mean, Kim Kardashian took up that banner and ran with it. So there is kind of this voyeuristic uh thing that's that we're all we've all kind of come to accept that as normal, right? That we, we find it normal to be having these glamorized glimpses into people's personal lives, kind of living through people. So I think that all kind of ties together in how we experience and conceptualize um, sex and relationships.
3: So when Paris Hilton said that statement, was it interesting because it was very timely or because it was an anomaly? Probably a little it bit It was of both. timely
2: and it was an anomaly, yeah, it was it was both because this was the time when campus feminism was really strident and one-dimensional. You had to be sex positive, you had to be pro, you know, quote women's rights, whatever whatever that meant um at the at in whatever narrow context it was used in. Um you couldn't question it. Um you had to be you had to perform your femininity in a certain way in order to be considered feminist, a real woman, not a gender traitor so on and so forth. Um, and under that kind of rubric you had to kind of fake enthusiasm for sex personally.
1: This was around the same time that like a lot of the a lot of the Disney girls, like um Brittany and Christina Aguilera, they were pretty much shedding that wholesome image and they were they were coming out as very sexually um sex positive and very just um Like everything about their image revolved around their sexuality, their songs, their dancing, their videos, their performances on stage. And this is also around the time when the tabloids were constantly photographing female celebrities going to like strip clubs. It was it was a very um, I don't know if sexually liberating was is the right word for it, because it really did feel like um, like it was a performance by these women.
2: Yeah, I think it, I you use the word raunchy, and I think that's the right one. It yeah, was just it was just the, it was just the, it debauchery. Was like the
1: beginning or in like the height of um from the beginning to the height of raunch culture.
2: Um, but also, what you said was kind of anomalous because while this was all going on, if you wanted to consider yourself a feminist, you still had to say, you know, yeah, this is totally what I want to do. This is my body. I just totally love. Um, sex and all its incarnations. Nothing's off the table. I'm open to anything. This is, you know, this is a political thing for me. This is a personal thing. Um, but you you had to personalize that political message. So to have Paris come out and kind of say, no, I just really love being an object for dudes. <laughs> and for, I just like people watching me. And I like being the fulfillment of that fantasy. Nothing about this is for me. So it was both like in tune and completely out of tune. for I that think time. that a
1: lot of them, they enjoyed the objectification, yeah, and I think that they went looking for it too.
2: Yeah, I I I agree. So I don't know, Christina, you you you're kind of coming up in a in a different time.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh it's so interesting to me because I I don't think that the voyeurism idea is out of style in a way. I think it's part of female nature. <laughs> in, like, a, I don't know if that's kind of like an awkward thing to say, but I feel like to be desired. it's something that i has agree with gained. You. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's necessarily totally informed by the political moment or if it's kind of the way females naturally are or if in a lot of ways it's just shows how deeply ingrained these feelings of inferiority or these, um, me- the kind of messaging you give to young girls are. Because I think it's not a controversial statement to say that you dress for how other people, how you want other people to view you, or you put on makeup to impress other girls. So that idea of pleasing the other is already very much ingrained in femininity as constructed in the modern day, even during my time. So in a lot of ways, I think it's um, I think it's pretty interesting because I'm just not sure in some ways how radical that statement is, though it does sound radical. And <laughs> you understand. in terms? I'd of, say it yeah. does
2: sound radical. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I went, you know, when I was first starting out professionally, I, I was so clueless on like how to dress, you know, what to do with my hair, makeup, all of that. Um, so I went to the internet to, you know as you as you do to kind of find guidance on that like what's the appropriate like dress code makeup hairstyles I don't want to seem like a slut I also don't want to seem like a prude um what's the right what's the right mix you know that whole like ball of anxiety there. Um, and you see like these huge fights I don't know Liza, maybe you've seen this too like um it'd be like both with amongst women and between men and women the debate over makeup and clothing, right? And women insisting that no, they're putting on makeup for themselves, not for men, not for anyone else, and men totally calling BS on that. So there is that tension there. So saying like no saying, yeah, I, I'm presenting myself in a certain way in order to elicit a very specific type of attention and validation for myself. I think um it shouldn't be radical, but it is. I think the fear when, you know, women are, are when these fights were happening, um, that women were staunchly holding their ground, like, no, this makeup, makeup is for me, not for men. Um, it's the fear seeming too, you know, say, unfeminist, right? Say, admitting to themselves in the world that they are trying to elicit some sort of response, uh, trying to be desirable for the opposite sex or to your boss or something like that was for a long time, deeply unfeminist. You were supposed to kind of pretend that you were an island just kind of floating around doing your own thing. It was only like incidental that you'd bump up against anyone else. So I think that was kind of the, that instinct for women to kind of hold, hold the line and say, no, this is totally for me, not for not for you, asshole, or anyone else. But I think hopefully we're coming back to a time where we can kind of be honest about this, a little bit more honest, saying, yeah, I, I don't put on glitter eyeliner to go to a corporate job. Like everyone instinctively knows that that's not what you do. Like that's not to judge people who wear glitter eyeliner. It's just if you see a woman in a in a suit with conservative hair and makeup with pumps, um, you're not going to think go-go dancer. And that's the image she intentionally puts out there, right? She's not gonna. If you're a businesswoman, you're not gonna be. You're not gonna want to pretend that you are somebody else. You want to be able to present yourself in a particular way. So hopefully the radical part of that statement ceases to be radical soon enough. But I agree that it does sound radical, even to me, given like that, that you know, that decade or so of feminist rhetoric that deeply, deeply wanted women to pull away from admitting that they were trying to um, appeal. And then the, the, worst, the, the worst word you can use in this case is manipulate, right? That's the fear that we're manipulating men or something. For our own gain, we were supposed to be fighting our own fights, winning on our own terms. Uh, fuck the boys; uh, they don't matter, etc.
3: I think it's interesting because I think for as long as I can remember, uh, in terms of sex being part of the conversation, I think it has always been very much ideologically part of my feminism, the feminism around of the people around me. But in a lot of ways, I feel that personally, sex in general, has been a very guarded topic in terms of people don't want to talk about sex in relation to themselves personally, especially, I think, if they're women of color.
2: My parents still have not had the talk with me. I'm in my 30s and my parents have not had that talk. Oh, I've never had it
1: either. (laughs) I'm with you, Jess. (laughs) Same thing. In my 30s, parents never had the talk with me, Um, like, the closest it ever came to was like maybe on prom night, and then that was that was pretty much it. And it was like one sentence, you know.
2: It's like not even direct. It's like
1: it's like a veiled thing. It, it was, and it wasn't even. It was so indirect. It was like you're you're not gonna stay out all night, right? <laughs> and yeah. I knew what she meant. Yeah. I knew what my mom meant. And I think it's interesting because I also kind of see this sort of
3: policing not just within this parental-child relationship, but also in this friend- like, kind of in a friend-friend relationship. I think sex is just an awkward subject to talk about personally. <laughs> like, in terms of- Oh, it is. Having, like, you don't want to know about your friend's sex life. Lives. You don't <laughs> want- you Like, you don't want your friends to know about your sex life. Like, generally, it's a topic that is both- awkward and completely inconsequential when talking about friendship, but somehow it's also this weird expression in like the personal is political sort of sphere. I think that it takes a really awkward place in feminism as an ideology because it enters into this really strange space that just breaches how closely femininity is tied to masculinity at the same time, trying to claim personal is political, and then at the same time, retracting both of those statements. So it's a very interesting theoretical place.
2: Yeah, I've, I've never really had very much comfort in talking about that with my friends. Um, I know I've, I have I've had friends who were able to talk about that with each other, I just never was able to bridge that. Um, until I guess uh, until we all started loosening up around the time when the first of us were getting married and starting to have babies and it just kind of like falls into that kind of you kind of relax about you know being squeamish about your own body so there is that sort of relaxation that that's a part of it but I also remember I, I just recently watched Girls and I was shocked by how open they were Yes, about it and I'm <laughs> really curious about how you know that intersection of like race or gender or whatever it is um, and I don't know how normal this do is. Too. That, I know do you think do you think a lot of it just... has to do with um you know, white parents, they have the
1: talk with their kids and they talk about sex like if you can talk about sex with your parents, you can probably talk about it pretty easily with
2: your friends. I think so. I think there's a more uh, like a, like a physically open culture among most white families. Yes. Yeah. Um, like, I don't, I'm not trying to generalize, like, Asian families at all, but from what I grew up with, like, there wasn't that much, like, touching in, No, definitely Like, even not. between, like, husband and wife, you know? Um, like, if I visited my, if I went to my friend's houses for dinner, I'd never see, like, dad lean over to give mom a peck on the forehead right, or something. Like, occasionally you would, but, like, not so much as, you know, like, going to, like, my white friend's houses, where they'd be, like, holding hands at the dinner table or, you know... Um, cuddling together on the couch or something. You know, like, there just was... It just didn't seem like Asian people had that same kind of comfort being close to one another. And I think that does bleed into how we relate to ourselves and each and each other as we grow up. So, I, I, I don't I have no idea how to t- where to go from there. It's just watching this group of like pampered, self-centered white girls talking about blow jobs <laughs> and and just I don't know it was it was weird. Like I remember so clearly in the, in like one of the first scenes in the first episode, um two one of them is sitting in the bathtub, the other one kind of comes in after a crappy day, just takes all her, all her clothes off and gets in the bathtub with her.
1: Oh, I thinking, I think is, I saw is... that episode. Yeah, it's when um i remember this yeah
2: yeah and like it, like periodically you see that throughout the show like the girls just like p- going to the bathroom in front of each other i have no idea how normal that is and i do know i'd have friends who are that comfortable around each other to do that i'm pretty co- just, that was I'm, like I'm pretty comfortable like that I, not, I mean i mean that's fine right but i just don't know like like if it's with my friends who i've known for a long time it has to be someone i've, with I've with known yeah, for like,
1: years and years it's like it's not like it's not like someone that i just met like a couple months ago yeah <laughs> the people i can do that with are the people i've been friends with since like middle school
2: yeah same here and maybe that's shorthand in the show to to tell the audience how close these girls they all did go to college together
1: comes. and so they probably lived together I think for so. a little while yeah
2: so maybe that was that but i just remember thinking like like this is not like this probably would not ha- it would take a lot longer for that same level of intimacy to happen in like an all asian girl circle so I have a group of friends that I've been friends with since, like, third grade, practically. And I remember, like, one of the first times, like, one of us even mentioned um sex um was, like, in our mid-20s, when the first of us were starting to get married, right? So we had come, like, all the way through adolescence, through college, and starting in our professional lives before, like, we were able to even broach the subject that there was this dimension to our lives that we were completely not sharing yeah
1: i'm gonna move the conversation um a little bit further um speaking of privileged white women uh the women's march was last weekend ah yep the becky parade i didn't even know that i didn't even know about it until a few days beforehand i think that um i think this one was like the trump impeachment march or something
2: yeah, I heard but I think that was like after the fact kind of giving it a sort of theme. Like it didn't seem as it didn't seem as strong as it was last year.
1: I think it's because of the circles that you and I are in, especially in online spaces, Jess. I think that a lot of women of color have turned away from that movement, from the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also the Women's March. Yeah. Like I was I was very much in support of Me Too and the Women's March Prior to the one last year, I think that my I changed my mind. I changed my mind after the women's march last year, and I got a lot of heat on a few different online forums, pretty much ex- almost exclusively by white women, because they were. I thought that there was a lot of hypocrisy that they were marching to protest Trump's upcoming inauguration, yet fifty three percent of white women voted for Trump, and then they're speaking about equality for everyone. They're trying to be, you know, they say that they're so intersectional, but then you know, where were they? They never spoke up. They never spoke up in the years leading up to Trump's win, you know, and all the things that happened that led up to that moment. It's like they're only speaking up after he got elected and the day before he's about to get inaugurated. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop it at that point. But yet when there was something that they could have done to stop it, they never said anything and they were silent the whole time. So I was I was pretty openly critical about it. And I, I'm i still pretty critical about it
2: yeah it just doesn't it i think you're you're spot on and that's my frustration with it entirely um it's just it's such a it's such a self-serving movement at this point like it's hard to not see a lot of hypocrisy in the you know the types of people they choose to promote even within the like the feminist ranks and the types of issues that they keep trying to promote um it just it keeps going back like i keep going back to martin luther king Jr.'s statement about people especially white people holding the line and saying you know just wait just wait your turn it's not your turn yet we need our our peace first and th- that's what i keep hearing over and over again In talking about like in this whole that's the background noise to this whole me too thing
1: i i feel the same way about me too um just like just like I said that the women's march, I was really I was really in support of Me Too when it started happening, but as it as it went on and evolved, it just it just became more and more about replacing white men with white women. Uh, when it comes to the Me Too movement, for example, during the Golden Globes, I saw Laura Dern get up there to accept her award for her show Big Little Lies, and then she made a speech connecting her show to women's empowerment and how we should foster an environment that that allows for that. Uh, and then backstage, Reese Witherspoon was talking about women creators and how all the stories change when women are the architects. But to me, what I hear is more white women in these stories, more white women writing these stories. And haven't they been centered enough? I personally do not need any more stories about white women.
3: I mean, in some ways, the whole movement that they created that white feminists did create is completely antithetical to all experiences of women of color in a lot of different ways. So white women were fighting for rights to the workplace and women of color had already been working forever. Yeah. In a lot of ways, white people created domesticity. They like created the box that they're trying to get out of. Yeah,
2: that's a really good point. I think right. it's
3: interesting when people are talking about like black female artists, like Rihanna, like embodying feminism, because I highly doubt she when she puts on the dress that she's putting on, or when she's singing whatever she's singing, that she's thinking this will be great for the like feminist cause and sexual liberation cause, or like I I don't really remember what other what other white feminist agenda things there are. I'm pretty sure she's just being herself, and then white feminists are ascribing these things onto like the black female artists and stuff like that. I mean, every time that me personally, there's like absolutely no objective measure for this, but I think that every time a white singer really tries to empower herself, something falls flat. Like, like Katy Perry
1: and Taylor Swift. Yeah, it feels you have a blind spot. Very because, contrived. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at how hard, for example, Taylor Swift. She loves to play the victim. She just loves it. Yeah. Like every song is always about how she's the victim. Like the she's who I think of immediately when I think about white feminism and all of its faults, I think of her.
2: She's my runner-up. Katie Way is my top pick right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still on okay. that hate way. Uh, but I think my my problem with uh, with that incarnation of feminism is that they still expect to be seen as the pioneers, the ones who get the right to speak for everyone else like they 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 desperately want that and that's their blind spot they cannot understand why we would ask them to step aside like you can just see that even at like even even you know locally if i if i go to like a feminist event or something it'll be some white woman standing up and claiming to speak for the sisterhood right and she'll she'll give lip service to saying oh we need to make way for other voices but she's the one up there talking she wants to be seen as that savior who was generous enough to give someone a platform. She doesn't actually give it because she's the one up there talking, but she wants to be seen as that savior, that leader. They, she, they cannot stand to not be the leaders.
1: In the past year and a half, I've learned that a lot of white feminists believe that being women is equivalent to being a person of color. And so they believe they have an understanding of racism that allows them to not just include themselves, but pretty much just make it all about themselves. And like me too, and the women's march is—it's a really that—that's where you can find all those kinds of yeah, white women.
2: And it's so—it's impossible. To they
1: really—I think the most frustrating part about it is that they really truly think that they're being good allies, and then when they get called out on it, they're in such shock. Like so many white women feel attacked for for no reason, and it's like, okay, yes, speak out. No, do not center your white womanhood if you do speak out.
2: And don't center that BS like I'm I know I'm I'm checking my privilege right now and I'm so guilty. Please everyone tell forgive me and let me know how okay I am. <laughs> there's that self flagellating thing <laughs> that there's that's still an appeal for attention that I can't fucking stand. Yeah. Like you want attention? Just at least have the ovaries to ask for it. <laughs> Please. Like I hate the self flagellating white girl hard hardest.
3: Yeah, I think some of the real faults of how we talk about intersectionality in general is that it's they're trying to say that, for example, being Asian and female, the issues are being Asian compounded with being female, saying that, like, essentially being female is the same experience, but there's like this additional layer of Asian-ness that increases the intensity when in reality it's. Actually, they co- to interact in totally completely different ways. That actually puts you in sometimes diametric opposition to white women. Like I, I think that one of the examples that Dave Chappelle brings up, and I like to bring up, and nobody else likes to bring up, is the fact that there was this mass. I guess th- there was this mass movement to murder by white women on black men for, like, lynching and stuff like that. That I feel like is sometimes totally ignored and not seen for what it is. Which is that white women have attacked raced people in this country for a long time of their own accord in a lot of ways. Like, a lot of white women try to erase their agency in this situation and blame it as coercion by white men. But in reality, it's white women lied... And that lie led to the murder of so many different men. And the reason is directly tied to white women, and they try to deny their agency in that. So in a lot of ways, the topic of the identity of race is diametrically opposed to whiteness, including white womanhood, when they try to think that they're just experiencing a lesser intensity of the oppression that people of color do face. And I think that's one of the pitfalls of intersectionality that, like, a lot of times white women don't get, and we don't feel like explaining to them.
2: Over and over and over again, right. Yeah, I mean, they, get, they, they try the escape clause, right? Uh, they say, okay, yeah, we did that, but, you know, it's ultimately the men who did that. But you're manipulating—okay, so the constraint of gender here means that you have to act on men. To do your bidding, or or you can't just actively go out and do that yourself. That doesn't remove you from culpability. You could have not lied, you could have not gone, on, you could not have chosen to use that power you had in society to manipulate your your way into getting what you wanted, or enacting revenge, or whatever you whatever you had. So I I, I totally agree with you, Christina. There, I remember, um, I remember years ago I went to like a feminist. I it was like a rally. Um, I forget what we were protesting, um, but it was, uh, but the theme like there were like, I think it was something to do with either like 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 birth control or abortion or something. There, I remember there were like a lot of women, uh, topless, and they were holding up signs and and yelling, and and it was it was all kind of a giant you know ruckus, and I remember just being kind of shy and kind of just feeling my way through the crowd, and then this uh, this woman, this white woman. Um, She just sort of grabs me and she's, she's like, yeah, let your inner geisha girl out. Be free. You know, it's like, well, am I getting racism and a feminist <laughs> Like, what the fuck? And I politely, and then I tell her, no, like, I, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. You know, this is not my speed. I'm just here to support. And then she kind of just gets this sneering look on her face. and am like, oh, you're one of those Asians. Oh. And I'm like, w- way, to, way to lose on, like, all fronts of the race and gender fight yeah. here. Like, did I just get slammed with two, like, opposite stereotypes in two sentences? Like, what the fuck, lady?
1: Well, so Asian feminism is pretty different from white feminism. Very, very different. It's different from all the other feminist movements. Um, But yet we're always lumped in with white women's movements. But we're not considered women of color like Latina and black women.
3: On some level, it's because there's this denial of Asian-ness on... On Asian fronts, especially Asian feminist fronts, I think I think feminism, especially on a college campus, especially when you're younger, is a way to fit in with a crowd. And if you just very strictly subscribe to feminist tenants, you will be accepted in a certain white feminist crowd, no matter what. So there's absolutely there's almost there's very little reward in actually understanding what being Asian means, a lot of what we what we give to the public to look at as Asian feminism by other Asian feminists tend to actually just be more genuine versions of white feminism because we don't, I don't think we're, this is probably the wrong word, but complicated enough in the United States, our presence is complicated enough in the United States to actually really pr- be able to perform and process the ironies that white feminism gives out so in a lot of ways we do appear to be a more genuine version of white feminism that white feminists like but in reality if you really do understand how asianness affects people's relationship to other people in america it a lot of what white feminist tenants try to put out really are totally inapplicable to the asian experience
1: we have different cultural influences than white. So of course our feminism also has to be different and our experience with gender and power is also different from theirs.
2: Yeah. We're also under different constraints, right? Like, um, sorry, I keep pulling it back to like, like the sex positivity thing, but I think this actually does illustrate one of the ways that, um, Asians and Asian feminism has to break from white feminism, Like, there's no way for an Asian woman to actually be as sex-positive as, say, a white woman. No. Because Uh we already come into this with an overly sexualized image. So, we can't embrace that side as fully as, as, say, you know, as other women, because that's already a stereotype we're up against. Conversely, we can't exactly be stuck up buttoned up prudes either because that's another stereotype that we also have to deal with. So even just in that one dimension, we're 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 against way different constraints. So it becomes this little tightrope game where you have to probably switch contexts continually just to be able to kind of hold your head above water. And that's something that uh that's something that white feminism is never gonna understand.
1: An well, another group that experiences that kind of um like they can't embrace sex positivity and just being like uh, just embracing their sexuality as black women too but um some asian feminists learn like they they take their cues from black feminism but they can't do that either because we're not impacted by systemic and class class we're not impacted by systemic class and race issues the way black women are so that's not a direction that we can turn to either I actually think that Asian women and Latina women have a lot of shared experiences. I will agree with I that. I mean, I'm also Filipino,
2: so culturally, I feel very tied to Latinas. I think so. I think we're the ones kind of in the middle. Like, if we have white and black on the opposite ends, um, the two of us are kind of, we're kind of sharing that middle space. The reason,
1: Well, the reason I say that is because I, I feel like Latinas and Asians, um, they have, like, you know, they can't just be seen as a collective. There's so many different types of Latinos and there's so many different types of Asians too. And then they have in their culture, they have very traditional gender roles. They tend to have lots of kids. They have in the immigrant experience, the language issues and the duty to families that we have. But we're in a different position from them also because unlike Black Latina, um, Black and Latino women, Asian women, have more privilege in the U.S. than Asian men. And I think there's also
3: this um, being perceived as, like, an outsider, as an American outsider. And in a lot of ways, I think how Americans really perceive, like, Orientalism and, I don't know, like, the sexy Latina, over-sexualized, whatever, it's kind of, um, it's like a peg that doesn't fit in the I'm getting the metaphor the metaphor wrong, but like the square peg in the round hole or something like that. Like it's some it's something it's a myth that's impressed upon us that has no real bearing in what we actually know about ourselves, except for what Americans have kind of filled in because they didn't know us before.
2: That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that before.
3: Yeah, because there's also I think this level of like, double consciousness that Asian Americans somewhat lack, I think. I can't say the same about Latino Americans because I don't... I can't really speak for them. But we don't necessarily completely understand that while we're perceiving some other people in some way, they're also perceiving us in some way. And I think that um, that actually influences our feminism a lot. Because while we're trying to perform our feminism sometimes we discount the fact that we're being perceived in a different way until we're, like, pretty old. So, like, until, like, early 20s or something, that we understand that a sexually active Asian woman is perceived differently by white America than
1: a sexually active white woman, than a sexually active black woman. Right. The white woman is seen as bohemian. The rest of us are just seen as sluts. Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody remember that hashtag "Not Your Asian Sidekick" from a few years ago on on Twitter?
2: Oh, I I, I sort of remember that. Yeah,
1: um, that's when I really started thinking about Asian American feminism and how it's completely outside of the white black paradigm.
2: We're kind of brought in like when it's convenient, right? Like you can see this in the in the fights. Like we're we're kind of left out of the. the we don't get our own dialogue. But we get brought in to support either side when it's convenient for those two, right? Like, if you see the affirmative action debate, then we'll be pulled in on either side for, for, let's say, the white side. Um, we'll be, you know, the model minority will be used against black people to show that, well, if you, if you put your nose to the, if you, put your head down and work hard you know you can make it even if you're an obvious minority look at the asians here and that's you know kind of wagging a finger at black people to say you know it's your fault um you should step up if you wanted to a piece of the american Mm -hmm. dream yeah
1: following that not your asian sidekick hashtag on twitter and reading all the conversations and the threads that's where i really learned a lot about how how outsider we really were in terms of the feminist movements in the u.s like, um, so so it was started by this girl that, um, it was started by this writer. Uh, I'm not sure what her ethnicity is, but I want to say like Chinese or Korean. But in one of her tweets, she said that she started the movement because she's tired of, she was sick of the racism and white feminism. And she was tired of the patriarchy in Asian American spaces. So I agree with the sick of the
2: racism and white feminism part. Totally. We add a little acceptable ethnic color oh no sorry um we just we add acceptable color to the white feminist movement like if you have some asians there then they get credibility they get cover fire they can't just claim this is a white thing we got asians here we're diverse (laughs) um but but that's just using that's just using us it's not like we get told to shut up and sit down if we have anything to say or god forbid we disagree and You can see that really clearly if anyone dares to disagree. it definitely
1: gets very rude if we if we speak up, especially around white feminists um Jess remember just a couple months ago you me and teen got onto the um I won't say the name of the the site, but it's it's a big forum online, and it, it I'm talking like four million followers that prides itself on being very liberal and progressive on issues about race, gender, sexuality, and parenting. Um, So a few months ago, me, Jessatine, called out the site for ignoring some some pretty terrible anti-Asian comments made by a man that they wrote an article about. And then they deleted my comments, so we all commented again, and it turned into a comment thread war with a bunch of uh, white feminists on there just telling us it's just a joke and stop being so sensitive. Oh, and oh my gosh, you can't say anything without offending anyone anymore. And we talked about it afterwards, and the message that was given to us is that you can't make fun of gays, blacks, Latinos, immigrants, feminists, or transgenders, but you can make fun of Asians, and it's perfectly okay for white women to laugh at jokes made about us. Like, it's just one example, but it's a pretty common occurrence in in liberal circles. I agree. And I feel like one thing that I what i
3: want to address is just that i have so many problems with asian feminism that is derived from white feminism because white feminism's goal is to completely ignore and completely delegitimize white males which makes sense in how their patriarchy works but for asian for asian females we have to understand the asian male experience because when you ask the question why are we perceived the way we are perceived, like, why are we perceived as either prudes or sluts and stuff like that is because, essentially, Asian males are, are emasculated in this country, and white people or people who are not Asian perceive them as feminized mm-hmm. or whatever. So the idea that we are their counterpart sh- is either we are so totally amazed by these, like, super tall, white, westernized men... <laughs> Or that we're so shy about them that we either have sex with all of them or we don't have sex at all. Mm-hmm. So I feel like our situation of being quote-unquote fetishized slash um, overly sexual or whatever is totally tied to the condition of Asian men in this country. In a way that is completely ignored if we even use white feminism as part of the framework of asian feminism which is i think the issue i have with a lot of asian feminists
2: yeah i think i think there's been a lot of um, like there's been an instinctive alliance that asian feminism has sought with white feminism they want to tap into that known power network i mean and uh and to some extent i i understand the urge right to get legitimacy, to get voices, to get uh, attention—that's um, a much bigger movement. You kind of want to tag along or, or, you know, leverage that alliance in some way. But I think in the in in seeking that alliance, the main uh, the main points that we need to get addressed completely got lost because they were willing to capitulate to the point where it's completely meaningless and sometimes damaging, often da- damaging to our own community.
3: Yeah, and by kind of accepting kind of accepting, like, the terms that white people will put onto Asians, it's kind of like accepting both the stereotype that they give gave to Asian males and also the stereotype they gave to Asian females, which is um, internalized racism, sexism.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that term patriarchy gets tossed around so casually, um, but it's And it means something very specific in classic, like, feminist canon, right? And people try to take that concept and apply it wholesale, and it's kind of breaking everyone apart. And rather than seeing that fracture and kind of critically evaluating that to see, you know, what's correct about it, what needs to be adapted, and what's completely not applicable, we just keep trying to, like, jam that square peg into that round hole and you know, yell at the mm-hmm. hole for for it not fitting in or something. Like it's it's <laughs> yeah. really it's 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 insane. And then also I think it's
3: important to just say that like if your feminism only if only people who are in your insular feminist circle understand your feminism, it's probably not very functional. It probably isn't very generalizable
2: at all. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you see. Yeah. Like you see people like in the face of criticism, they don't um, they don't adapt or modify. They get angrier and they retreat. They retrench in these smaller and smaller groups, um, and they kick out people. <laughs> yeah, they they do. So it's so it's it's sad to see that happening. Like it's, it that happens especially in the like the minority communities, right? So it's really like it's really frustrating and sad to me to see like how prolifer- how proliferated like the white counterpart side to that they took over the- they took over Hollywood basically they have the nation's attention right now that's how huge their platform is and that's how damaging applying that ideology to smaller communities is it all it does is, is fractures us like there's nothing about it that unified or brought people together, brought more understanding. It's literally just pitting people against each other in these smaller and smaller communities. And in the meantime, you can just see that it worked so well for them. Why would it work so well for us? And so insisting on keeping insisting on sticking close to that template, the same concept, the same ideology, is so fundamentally insane to me. It's not working for us. Why keep it? Like so, I don't know. if There's this inner validation thing going on. Like, um, like they were there first. The white feminists or the white theorists were there first, and somehow we need to. Is it validation? Are we still thinking that we need to hew closer to that model for it to be legitimate? Are we still kind of going after that white ideal? What's holding us back from kind of breaking loose?
3: Yeah, and it's it's so ironic because in a lot of ways, women of color are who white feminists want to be like
1: yes they are the majority (laughs) of
3: the parents that I grew up around when I was young are working moms like most Chinese American households are very matriarchal to the point that they're like internet jokes and memes like to a huge point we have already experienced their worst nightmare in terms of like in terms of I guess even in Asian history the large amount of r- rape that went on in Asian history, but also in Black American history, getting raped by white men. Even Black men were getting raped by white men. Like, to some extent, we already w- lived through their nightmare as women of color, and we are already what they want to be as women of color, which is something that frustrates me to no end about the white feminist movement.
2: Yeah. They both, I don't know, I'd say It's say they are both retrenched in their whiteness, but they're also seeking... um outside validation or co-opting outside out otherness in a sense. So I I think I'm picking up on what you, what you're talking about, Christina.
3: Yeah. I mean, um, I think one of the examples I I've never watched the handmaid's tale, so I can't really um, say too much about it, but from what I, from what I've read online, it's winning all these accolades about this is a perfect description of a female dystopia or something. And then it's talking about like the entitlement of white men and and white women being used just as like these objects for um, like bearing children, sex stuff like that. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly how white men treated their black slaves. Like this dystopia already happened.
1: They didn't need to
3: create. It. I read
1: that. I read that article, and I, I I never saw the show either, but I read the book and after i read that article i was like holy shit this 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 is on point it really is the black female experience in america especially slavery
2: but they had to they had to change they had to make the protagonist white they had to place it sometime in the future definitely not in the past they had to still make it about themselves cuz they cannot relate fundamentally to that experience that foreign experience they don't want to and if that doesn't tell you something about where their ideology is going i don't Like their their dystopia, like this was a shock to so many women, right? That was like so many feminists wrote about it. Like, is this it's some new development or something? Like, have you not been paying attention in history? Is this somehow news to you? Like, why are you why you should be ashamed if you consider yourself a feminist and think this is somehow a future that might happen? And disrespecting the history, the very real history that you claim to respect and revere and, you know, give a platform to every once in a while during Black History Month or something like this, that that blind spot is just infuriating.
1: You know how Natalie Portman is is considered such such a voice in feminism and um, especially the Me Too movement, because that little move that she
2: pulled at the Golden Globes.
1: What did she do with it? Have you guys heard of the the movie Annihilation?
2: I just heard about it from from you actually.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. So there's this movie called Annihilation, and in the book, the female lead is written as an an Asian female character, and you know, Natalie Portman has been very outspoken about giving more roles to people of color, and here she is taking this role that. Was originally an Asian female character, so you know I, I really hope that that movie tanks. I saw the trailer and it's pretty awful, so it'll hopefully just tank because. It,
2: Fun fact: it's that She bad. was a few years. She was she was at Harvard a few years ahead of me, and I was at MIT just down the road. Um, so I heard stories, and I heard she was a real bitch. Uh,
1: that doesn't surprise me at all. You know,
2: I I actually I, I don't know. I I, I guess we kind. <laughs> she was we're kind of close enough in age where I guess we sort of went, we've kind of grown up together in a sense. Um, so I've always kind of been like aware of her career in the back of my mind. And I just, I just don't like her. She always seems so smug.
1: She does seem smug. That's a good word for it. She's always talking about how she's so great because she doesn't go out to Hollywood clubs and she's so great because she dresses so modestly and it's like, well, okay, good for you. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and something that just also interests me
3: about white celebrities in particular is only if you are a white female will mediocrity and relatability be used as an asset to your career. Like, I can't think of a single woman of color who is famous because she's so relatable. (laughs) I feel like that is one of the most ironic (laughs) criteria to put on a
1: celebrity. Jennifer Lawrence, Emma Stone, all of them. I'm yeah, I'm not feeling it, but that's exactly that's exactly why they are cast the way they are because they're so
2: relatable. Yeah. So that just goes to show how deep that need is to see someone you can relate to, right? Like this is this is People hold this up as a, as, a, as a benefit and a real value that they ascribe to these actresses. And they're mediocre actresses for the most part. They're not, you know, particularly talented or very attractive. But that one elusive quality, relatability, is what makes them so famous and so wealthy. So we know that there's a dollar value that people place on that. Yet when it comes to anyone else who wants screen time, then it's, well, why can't you just look at white people? Why can't you do that? And, like, you, you you literally pay these average women, like, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, maybe, um, because you can see yourself on a date with them, drinking a beer with them, and you want to deny that to everyone else because you think we should just be looking at your models of relatability and reworking our heads to, to follow suit. And you want to somehow tell us that you're acting in our best interests. Like screw you i don't know we kind of got off on a tangent there but it was a satisfying one thank you for
1: listening if you enjoyed this podcast we have a lot of other episodes you might enjoy so make sure to smash that subscribe button rate us on itunes or leave a comment on soundcloud also make sure to check out planamag.com for the latest articles and fuck yeah fridays till next week
0: i mean japan had been working the land. I mean, she was given only the worst kind of desert land and she made it fertile. And so other farmers, Caucasians, it would be it would be to their advantage if the Japanese were thrown out and they could work the land. Uh, so I think um, on... What are the civil rights we lost? I think, well, we never had all the civil rights, uh, and I think that's how come to them. There came to be a group called the No-No Boys because they felt it was more important to fight for civil rights than to fight the enemy. I think a lot of Japanese felt They weren't treated like a a real American.